Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome to Security and Secure. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest today is a magician, a comedian, an actor, a presenter, a panto legend, a Twitter gymnastics narrator, and now the author of his new book, 10 Things I Hate About Me, the memoir that details his journey into being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and the choices he's made in life, including many addictions. Now, during this interview, you might be affected by what you hear. And if you want more information about addictions, please visit talktofrank.co.uk. If you want more information about borderline personality disorder, visit mind.co.uk. And if you feel suicidal, please call 116123. To tell his story in his words, I'm so grateful he's agreed to educate you and be honest. I'm delighted to welcome to Security and Secure, Joe Trissini. Hello, Joe. Hello, Johnny. Th- I can't thank you enough for doing this. I need, it means everything. I needed securing. Well, you're in the right place. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. Today is an awful day, Johnny. For in my And I, I have a spectrum of awful days. And today is quite high up on the awfulness spectrum of my days. And uh, I often, every inch of me didn't want to come today because I didn't feel like I could. But I thought this probably would be the best place that I could be because if I said I wasn't going to come today, I would have been on my own still. And that's never going to help. So I thought it would be a better thing to come and talk to you about it. So hello, Johnny. Thank you for having me. You haven't got to say thank you to me. Thank you for asking me to come. Well, it's a pleasure. But it's interesting that you can compartmentalise that and look at the negative, but also find the positive now. Yeah, I'm very positive, but all the things that I'm positive about are negative. So I always try to find a, a way of looking at any situation that's in front of me that gets me through it. And like, that's the way that I see the world and life is just a series of moments. And they're like a stack. So I only ever see one at a time. I, and I can't remember the one that I just threw away. But I do know that there are always more moments coming. So I just sort of have to be aware of the fact I'm dissociated. It's one of the things that I, I hate about me is that I'm not really connected to the, the people or the things that I'm around. It's a bit of a paradox, really, because in, in order to feel my own existence, I have to be around the things that I don't feel connected to. I never have very many good ideas on my own. Coming to see you, even though every inch of the things that I hate didn't want me to come here, I knew that I would be best coming to see you today. 
Which is interesting because someone who's worked in magic and worked in comedy, that must be quite isolating careers because a magician spends many t- times on their own learning the tricks. The comedian spectates on the world but then writes stories to themselves and tries to get that point of being funny. You can't bounce off someone for that. <laughs> and so you must have spent a lot of time alone and yet you don't like being in your own company. Yeah, it's massively counterproductive. Yeah. I worked that out. That's uh, that's interesting, actually, to, you're saying about doing comedy as well because, yeah, you're on your own there as well, aren't you? You can only learn magic on your own, but you can't do it on your own, which is uh, depressing, to say the least. I never remember making, like, choices into sort of doing the magic and, and the comedy and stuff like that. That was inherent in me, and I knew that I was good at those things. So I never sort of picked them. I never picked them. I'm glad... That I did. Because for those that don't know, your dad is Joe Pasquale. That is him. And so, so some people might make, not make that association, but yeah. you've grown up with that. You've not necessarily made that choice. I actually hadn't even inherited it. But from an early age, you would have seen him performing on the circuits all the time. Yeah, he was like a plumber. He just plumbed in front of people. I, I was always aware of the fact that uh, people knew dad was, but I was, and, and that most people didn't know who other people's dads were. But that was never too much of an issue for me. It was just, it was just how... Uh, I, I had no frame of reference that wasn't dad doing that. My childhood was split up very much into sort of waiting for dad uh, to be around me and then, uh, you know, me waiting to see him again because he was away a lot. And yeah, no, love dad very much. Which is interesting because a lot of people who I speak to who have got famous parents are mm. of that reality TV world now. Yeah. And so they go on the Love Islands and they go on those type of shows. And it's like their parents are pushing them to be famous to make up for the fame they might not have had because they never got to that level. And so with the use of social media, they can kind of put their kids in the spotlight. But your dad never did that to you. This was all very much from you controlling how your career went. From all of my early childhood, I idolised my dad very much. But when I decided that I wanted to do it as a career, and I was about 14, 15, started doing the magic, I made the decision that I wanted to change my name because I knew that I would either be not very good at what I was going to endeavour to do or be successful at it because of me, uh, as opposed to being dad's son. And it's quite nice now. It, it's taken a while, but like I, it's a fact about me. The majority of people, that anybody that is aware of me, generally doesn't know that, that dad's my dad, which is great because I don't know who other people's dads are. And I and that makes that I, I like that. I, I like that about it. I because we're separate people. It took a long time for me to separate my sort of, my, myself from my dad, because obviously we are very similar. I spent an awful long time watching my dad at work and stuff like that. And a, a large portion of my adult life has been trying to um, unlearn a lot of the things that I subconsciously learned of uh uh, watching dad work and being around my dad because we are we are very similar like neither of us can order room service in a hotel without being called ma'am which is always uh depressing well I don't, I, every time i see your dad he calls everyone darling that's male what, or female that's yes. my thing about it. that's my fact about your dad is every time i see him you're right darling i'm like yeah because you know i'm a man yeah he still does that yeah love as well love love gets yeah love. yeah yeah i went through a stage oh it makes me skin crawl thinking about it where i used to call people sweetheart i would have been like 20 in morrison's like, like at the end of like any sort of till endeavor i'd be like thank you sweetheart how did people not punch me in the throat more do you know what i used to do that with darling and i based it on alfie moon shane rich and eastenders used to call everyone darling. i thought oh here's the jack the lad he's the one who gets the girls and eastenders 
that's going to be me. You're yeah. like, darling. And I still do that. You're like, darling, or you're like, mate. I don't call people by their names. It's either mate or darling. That's, yeah, see, that's the thing. And I'm, but I, and I make it now, I make a concerted effort to try, and I, I ask people's names, and I try and uh, do it that way as opposed to generalizing because I, it makes my skin crawl thinking back to that time when I thought it was acceptable to call people babe. <laughs> say EastEnders Shane Ritchie he still does it he yeah, still does it I know but all the girls that he gets by it are being paid to be got well that's true that's true Alfie not Shane very different issue well yeah but then you've got to separate the character from the actor and that's also very hard <laughs> I've only ever mistaken it once I once met John Altman who plays Nick Cotton in yeah. EastEnders and it was the first time I saw him and I went oh my god oh hi Nick I meant John First time I've ever made that mistake. Normally I'm quite good at separating, but there's something about him. I was like, that's Nick. That's yeah. Nick Cotton. No. Um, so before we move on to the lessons you learned, I just want to touch on your childhood and just one more thing about your purpose. Because growing up as a comedian and a magician in your own right, that became your purpose as a performer. The spotlight was on you. Everyone came to you because they wanted to be entertained, whether it was by magic or comedy. So for everyone else, they're getting their two, five, two minutes of you entertaining them. But how is it for you? Because it's like people come in, they watch you, they laugh, they go again. But you're still there. You're still standing. Yeah. Do you mean now or then? Go for both. I think that as I've gotten... I, because I've always performed, I learned how to do things via performing. That was not... Again, That was that's just how it happened because of the magic and the comedy. So that's what my experience of things, as you said, is for other people, is them coming and then leaving. Um, and because that was how I saw the world, that is now how I've sort of had to uh, adapt and accept the world around me, is that I still live in that way. So so essentially, you are my audience for this point. I'm not performing for you. I'm not acting. But I'm always me. I'm always aware of me. I'm as aware of me as you are right now. So you can see me because I'm in front of you. There's no point in my day where I'm just somewhere. I'm always aware that I am in front of people everywhere. And I have had to make that work for me because that can be terrifying. That could be, That is a terrifying scenario to be in because obviously if you're working in like a theatre environment, there's a there's a, an allotted amount of time that you know at some point those people are going to go, I'm going to go there. My purpose is just being in rooms. That's all I do is I just I just go from one room to another. And I have had to find a way to be OK in the spaces between the rooms. It's nice to meet you properly. And uh, at some point later on in my day, I'll meet somebody else. And the hardest parts of my day are getting from one place to the other. Today, because I'm having a bad day, I uh, obviously I was trying to find uh, uh, anything in London Bridge. So that took at least 45 minutes. But it got to the point where I had to stop moving because I could not fathom anything apart from the fact that my legs had stopped working and I had to lean on the wall and I had to phone my publicist. It's a lovely lady called Alex. And I had to say, she said, can you walk towards me? And I said, no, I'm on the wall now. You have to, I, I can tell you what I can see from the wall. And you come to me, and, and which is inconvenient to say the least because I'm 34, Johnny. So I should not be doing things like that. But... That's where I'm at. I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm aware that your question was what, what is my purpose, but I think my purpose is only ever just being here. That's all I've got to do is just continue to be here. How do you find that communication? Because 
for those that don't know you, that don't know you've got borderline personality disorder, that don't know what that actually means and your coping mechanisms, yes. how do you find that line of communication? So, for example, when you say to your publicist, no, I'm not coming to you, you come to me, how do you think that's communicated? It's, I think because I am very upfront about how I feel and the things that I feel. Uh, one of the positives, one of the, one of the hardest things about some, any sort of personality disorder is there is a lack of self-awareness, um, which is something that over the years I've developed for better or for worse. And I think it's because I am very, very open about how I'm feeling at any given moment. So with Alex, to use Alex as an example, but just anybody in my, in my life that are working or personal is I tell people how, how I'm feeling and, I, and it's, I don't tell people what I need them to do. I ask them for help on a constant basis. They're very different things. So I didn't, it, it, it can be, you know, I, I think I'm an angry person, but I'm only ever angry at me. It never gets out of my head anymore. But I think that a lot of people that bossy, that bossiness is asking for help. They're just doing it in a really insecure way. So anybody that tells you to do something, they're telling you to do it because they need help. They just don't ask. They tell. So I ask. I love that about you. I love that you say, I'm not having a good day because you've opened up this conversation that we don't have as we all don't feel good. And with the use of social media and everything has to be perfect and this whole thing about imperfections, which I'm trying to learn, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be imperfect and have those imperfections. But I would never say to someone, I'm not okay today. I'd hide it. I'd mask it. I'd put a character on because I suppose the thing is, if you say I'm not okay, it opens up that question about why. And sometimes you don't want to talk about why. Sometimes you might not even know what the why is. And yet you're supposed to be expected to just read out this list of why you're not okay. And then almost that person you're telling feels that responsibility to say, well, no, don't feel like that because this has happened, this has happened. Yeah. But actually, there is no answer. No, when I met you today, you were at the top of an escalator, an escalator that I'd, I'd, I'd not been aware that I'd been looking for. This for is so showbiz, this story, it's going. No, it's not. Because you stood there and you, you said, how are you? And I said, uh, awful. And you said, why? And I said, today. And you, that, was, that, was, that was enough for you. That yeah. was enough. That Just that was enough for you. And, um, and I find that it's quite difficult to take responsibility when you feel awful for, for, for no reason to then have to then direct a chat or whatever it is. I know obviously we're recording this conversation, but I will have many conversations today that I'm not recording. But I'm in control of it. If I tell you I'm not all right, then we can deal with it together. Whatever mm. we talk about, whether we talk about the things that you were you were expecting to talk about or we talk about the things that I've got no idea what I'm going to say, I haven't got to hide anything. And I've got a brain that tells me that I am awful. So I have to make that my reality because I'm not awful. I know I'm not awful. I feel awful. I know no, nobody else thinks I'm awful. Well, a couple of people. We've all been there. But there is a level of... I can't control so many things, Johnny. The only thing I can control is whether or not I tell you how I am. So I tell you, I'm not very good today. And then we can deal with it together. But if I mask it, if I, if I pretend to you that I'm all right, I, I will leave this room worse than I arrived. And I did not arrive good. <laughs> so the best thing that I can do for me, and, and like you for this period of time, is just tell you how I am. Because that's the only way I can ever be safe. And it's the only way that I can know that I can go to sleep tonight knowing that I did the best I could. Because 
I am inherently a liar. I have been for a long time. I'm a magician. I'm a magician and a comedian. Both of those people put a lot of effort into making it feel like the things that you're doing are happening for the first time when they're not. Are you saying magic's not real, that uh, rabbits don't live at the bottom of hearts? No, but they do bring things at Easter and Father Christmas is a thing. So it's fine. <laughs> the lying, if it's okay to touch on, you stole a lot of money at one point in your life. Yes, I did. Are we okay to talk about this? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, never, never, ever okay to talk about it. But I, I, but there's a reason that I put it in the book, and it is because it's the worst thing that I ever done. Uh, the worst thing that I ever did. Sorry, I get my tenses right. Like that's the issue. Something that I'd done, sort of as a, uh, a thing that I'd done over my through my childhood was I, um, uh, I would steal money from family. Sort of started as uh, small amounts, then larger amounts, sort of credit cards and things like that. A few years ago, uh, it's something that I did uh, to a friend of mine, and. The money was was paid back, which is relevant and irrelevant at the same time. We're a good few years on from it now. And it's the sort of thing, because I do live with being suicidal on a daily basis, which is something that is not commonly spoken about, even though it is commonly felt. That worst thing that I've ever done has become the, the most prominent thing as a reason for my brain to tell me to take my own life when I actually haven't done anything wrong for years because I know it's undeniable to me and because I did something awful and there is no excuse for an awful thing like that I I do have a personality disorder if I didn't have the personality disorder I probably wouldn't have done that awful thing but mental health ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. It's, you know, it's, it's not an excuse for bad behavior, but it is an explanation. And I've always known right from wrong. 
Donny. I've always knew. I I, I knew what was happening then, uh, and I knew that was a decision to do that. But at this point in my life, if I w- was ever to take my own life, which I won't, because I keep telling people that I'm not going to, which is on my worst days, the thing that keeps me here. The fact that the worst thing I've ever done is a secret is the most harming thing to me. And it was a long time ago. There was a, I, I hurt a lot of people with it. And it comes to the point now that that is not worth killing myself over. And the only way that that thing, that awful thing that I did, I hate, I hate that you know. I hate that you know. But I told you. I told you for a reason. And the reason is this, is so that I can sit here now and say, yes, I did that. And you know. So that I can't move on from it. I can't. I hope maybe one day. But, you know... Uh, the, the, my point of it is is that everybody has got a worse thing that they've ever done. I don't know how bad, it, it's irrelevant. But my worst thing is not worth me dying over now. So I'm telling people about it because I, the, I can't take it back. But what I can do is uh, try and let go of some of the power that it's got over me. You know. Well, and then this is the thing is I don't care about the act. What I care about is you. And the guilt that comes of it. Because we've spoken about your purpose and we've spoken about a bit of the loneliness when it came to comedy and magic growing up. Yeah. Carrying guilt is a really hard thing. And there's two parts to this. First of all is I heard an interview of Roman Kemp from Capital FM whose producer died, producer Joe. And he said that the guilt of if someone takes their own life, that how does everyone else deal with that? Because there's no closure. And so everyone else is thinking, well, I should have done more. Why did I not know this? And because there's no closure there. Second thing is that Denise Welsh speaks about her depression and she calls it the unexpected visitor. He's made a return. You call yours Mick, Mick the devil, Mick in your brain. And as you've already said, there's days that you do feel suicidal. And for those that are listening, if you do feel suicidal, samaritans.org.uk or call them on 116123 is the number. But that guilt that comes with that, how do you process that to... First of all, go, I'm not going to kill myself today. But secondly, not carry that guilt for the rest of your life to go. And as you did with the tenses, to go, I did that, but I've moved on. That wasn't me now. That was me then. Yeah. I see guilt. I see guilt. Guilt is just taking responsibility for shame. So I'm ashamed of, of, of many things that I've done. And I deal with it in that in, in that way by, by by taking that. What was your question, Johnny? I want because I, I you it, it's a good question. And I don't want to distract. How from. do you carry the guilt with you, and how do you process it to go? Actually, that was then. This is now, so that you don't have to feel ashamed the whole time. I tell people, that's all I can do. It's literally talking about it. It's talking about it because I've tried to deal with the, I've I've tried to deal with the guilt by being shamed, um, and it goes nowhere because uh, trying to rationalise guilt and shame with the person that you feel guilty and are ashamed of, which is me, I've never got any... I've got no other point of view. If, I, if I'm talking to myself going, wow, you're ashamed of that, you should probably sort that out, I'm going to go, no, you, you just keep being ashamed of it. I've got no good answer. I, I, I can never answer a question that I've asked. So the, the, the way that I've started to deal with it is to tell people. And, and I, also, not everybody brings it up. That, and like, it, it, which is an, it, it's a positive thing for me that you said it because a lot of people don't a lot of people don't it's not it's normally come from me so as hard as it is for me to sit here and go whoa johnny knows the thing because <laughs> that's been has been a long time that nobody knew about the thing this is a good this is good for me but you call it the thing yeah it was the thing. instant was the thing but yeah. th- so 
I'm wondering if someone's listening, and I hope that this hasn't happened, but let's say, for example, someone's listening who killed someone. Right. I'm just thinking of a legal case here of if I came out and I said something, I could get arrested and therefore my life will be over because I've admitted something. Mm. Are you ever worried that you've said this saying, I'm, look, you've paid the guy back. So using your context, you've paid the guy back. So there's the closure there. You know, he's not going to call the police on you. But you ever worried if I say this out loud, there's going to be repercussions, actually. Yeah, these are all things that stop me from talking about things. So there are levels of uh, speaking about stuff that keeps things quiet. And I think that when you're dealing with stuff like this, serious stuff like this, there is a level of, is it again, is it good? I have to refer it back to whether or not it's worth hurting myself over all these years later. And, and I factored in that the, the, no, it's, it's, it's not worth that. And I think when you write a book and stuff like that, sort of when it comes to sort of like, you know, literal crimes, there is a level of sort of, of going through a book that you go, well, this is what happened. And it's about taking responsibility for the things. I've weighed up my internal risk assessment, which is, uh, you know, inconsistent to say the least. And I've decided that talking about things, even if they're difficult things that, that uh, and things always have repercussions, of course they do. But I've decided that, especially with everything that's happening in the world, talking about stuff is more important than thinking about it. 12 men a year lose their life in the UK to suicide. And so the first thing is opening up that conversation and speaking. Yeah. How do you think, for those listening who are suffering with mental health, how do those conversations start? What's your advice to those listening who are going through a bad time at the moment from your experience? From my experience, which has been changing more and more recently, is that um, uh, it's very difficult for me as somebody that lives with being suicidal to offer anybody else reasons to stay alive because most days I can't find them. But I'm still not dead because uh, something that I think on a regular basis is that even when I can't find a reason to stay alive, um, I can always find a reason not to kill myself, uh, which is because I don't deserve to die alone. And I've done bad things, but I, I know that I, I never, ever deserve that, uh, which is why it's important for me to turn up, especially on a day like today, telling you that. It's not something that I feel, but I do know it's true. So I, I feel like, I, right now, I feel like I do deserve that, but I know it's not the case. So what I would say to anybody that's having a bad day and it's very easy to say because that's the thing which is you know it's okay to be not okay and you know reach out and tell somebody well look I'm not okay this is not okay this, there is no part of how I feel that is okay and it's very difficult to reach out to people one because you know what do you say when you're thinking about something like that and two what does the person that isn't feeling like that that has never been approached by somebody that's suicidal what do you say to that person if somebody you love actually does, you know, sort of get past this, the shame and the guilt of it and to say, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about taking my own life or I'm, I'm at that point of, of unhappiness. Uh, what does the other person who's got no experience of that say? And in my experience is anybody that I've ever told uh, that has just said, is there anything that I could do to help? And I've always said no. <laughs> Just hold my hand, as I did earlier on to my friend, or um, just being with somebody. If somebody is in that place and they feel like that, the best thing you can possibly do is just say, OK, well, I'm just going to sit here with you until you stop feeling like that or we can carry on with our day. 
unfortunately, uh, there, uh, sometimes I think about bad things like that for days on end. But I do know that every time that I've thought about killing myself, at some point that has stopped, even though I don't feel like it. It's like when you get a cold and you can't remember what it feels like to not have a cold. That's how suicidal thoughts are for me. But I do know that at some point I've always stopped because I am not dead. Well, look, let's pivot. Let's let's talk about some happy <laughs> yes, things. Please. Let's get you out of this. Yeah, let's get good. some good. Uh, Dennis Savage in Hollyoaks. Yeah. What a legend. Uh, the, the, one of the characters, all-time soap greats, who had everything. A bit of hard time, but he was just a lovable guy. Before we get there, I want to go back to Italia Conti, because I'm fascinated by this. Right. Big actors that we know in the country go to either Sylvia Young, Anna Scher, or Italia Conti. Yeah. You went to Italia Conti. I, I just want to know what your experience was like there. What was the real day-to-day life of Italia Conti like for you? Uh, well, I, I had a good experience at Italia Conti. Is looking back at it, it was one of the few times in my life that I actually... Uh, I don't remember too much bad stuff happening. I was just existing in a place. And I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I didn't turn up very much. I worked out quite quickly that I um I enjoyed classes where I was learning things that I was already good at and I was not a fan of things that I had to practice. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I moved to London when I was 16. I lived in a YMCA for two years in Barbican. Did you have to sing the song to get in each day? No, you didn't have to, but okay. I did, just okay. because why wouldn't you? <laughs> um, it was the first time that I experienced finding my people. And like just just other people that 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 had a drive that wasn't just you know normal things in in school and stuff like that. Particularly as I'd spent so much time on my own to actually discover oh there's other people that are into the things that I'm into. That was brilliant for me, and I've got very happy memories of my time there. And I haven't stayed in touch with with too many people, but the people that I have that have stayed in my life, I I, I love them. And uh, yeah, no, um, it's, it's a happy time in my life there. And the Savage family in Hollyoaks. Yeah. Uh, Danny Mack has gone on to be one of our leading West End guys. I think he's in Pretty Woman at the moment. Yes, he is. Abby Phillips, who played your sister Liberty, has been going through her cancer battle recently. I did not know that, Johnny. That's... I'm, I'm sorry to say that then. Um, I, it, it, I didn't know that. Not at all. Is, is she is she here? Like not. She's alive. Yeah, she's, she's alive. alive. That's, that's, I didn't know that. I think she's got it in her neck. I'm so sorry to. No, no, the don't one to say sorry. No, no, not at all. No. Um, Abby is lovely. I'm really sad to hear that. Bless her. I'm so sorry to tell no, you that. No, no, it's all right. Uh, but she is an amazing girl. She was She's the first brilliant. celebrity I ever interviewed. When I was at uni in Birmingham, she came in and she sung her music for Christmas. And I was this little... 18 year old and she trusted me with that and so I've always got a special place for her she's got she's such a wonderful voice and she was she's always was always so kind because she was there I think she was the first one that went into our family and then we all sort of joined her yeah yeah very very kind yeah we, we pretended we lived in a camper van for about six months it was, a, <laughs> it was brilliant how did you find doing Hollyoaks with everything that uh, you've had mentally going on at the same time was it good to have that routine because it's a very harsh routine you have to follow and you've almost got no time to think about anything else because you're on to the next scene, the next scene, you're going the dog in the pond one day, you're back in the camper van the next day, you're at the McQueen's the next day. Yeah. How did you compartmentalise all that? Well, again, like that was fine because work was fun. Work was the thing that was not an issue for me. I because that was you were t- I was being told where to go. I love yeah. being told where to go. That's fine. If there's a thing to do and a place to do it, tell me. And I, the issue is when I've got to work it out on my own. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy that time. I mean, it was now looking back. Um, it was, you know, I, I was I was on very many drugs. It was something that I was incredibly supported by uh, all of the the producers and the teams that I worked with throughout my career because I was not well for the vast majority of it. The time that I spent at Hollyoaks, I learned an awful lot. 
about people and uh, the, the the crew up in Liverpool are amazing and they because you know what well, we're like actors man and um uh the crew in Liverpool are the reason that they are they are the sole reason that Hollyoaks is still a thing is because that everybody that works in that building at Line Pictures gets up every day and does 12 hours a day anybody that's ever ever had a career off the back of Hollyoaks has it's been achieved because of the work that that all of those people in that building have been putting in since Brookside I, well I was going to say the Line Pictures that set they've got uh, half of it was Brookside, the other half was Grange Hill. Yeah. So there's different generations. For me, it was Grange Hill. I remember it being Grange Hill, and it's weird that Hollyoaks High is the old Grange Hill set, and yeah. uh, the outside bit was the playground of Hollyoaks, which is now, I can't remember, some area. I've not watched Hollyoaks in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side for those who watched it as Brookside. So there's something for everyone in there yeah. if you've grown up watching Channel 4 over the past 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, final question for you. You're doing Panto this year. Yes. You're in Norwich playing Jack and Jack and the Beanstalk with Rufus Hound and Dale Hudson, who was Peter Bill in EastEnders. What can we expect? Jack and the Beanstalk. And I love Jack and the Beanstalk because it is very reflective of our current times in that everything is awful. And I have tried to get mental health awareness in Pantos as much as I can over the past few years. And I I did Dick Whittington last year and I played the cat and I gave the cat generalised anxiety disorder because he had uh, already died eight times and only had one life left. And this year I am trying to point out the fact that Jack and the Beanstalk isn't about giants or magic beans. It's just about real beans because I think that the world is changing and children are the ones that are going to be dealing with it. And I think that something like pantomime is a really, really important and a way that we can get children in a room together and we can tell them that they are very magical in themselves because uh, the most important thing that anybody can do is have the opportunity to grow. And pantomimes are the first place that a child will go into the theatre, so they'll learn that experience. They'll come away with that message, yeah. which is so important. Joe, I could talk to you forever. I can't thank you enough. Number one for coming in. Uh, number two for coming in when you have had a bad day. And number three, being so open in your book, because I learned a lot from it. And I think everyone needs to buy 10 Things I Hate About Me, because it's an incredible book. You're also going on tour. Final question, are you going to do 10 Things I Love About Me one day? If I find out one of them, that'll be a start. One thing I love about me. Yeah, no, I see I've still not got that. But when I get one, I'll let you know. I'll text you. Please do. And then we'll do a follow-up interview and we'll go longer. I appreciate that. Joe Trasini, thank you so much. 10 Things I Hate About Me is out to buy. Now, if you want more information about addictions, please visit talktofrank.co.uk. If you want more information about borderline personality disorder, please visit mind.co.uk. And if you've got suicidal thoughts, please contact the Samaritans, samaritans.org.uk, call 116-123. I've been Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. This is an amazing educational podcast. I really hope you've learned something from Joe today. He's got so many stories in his book about addictions. We haven't even touched on half of the stuff that was in his book. So please do go and buy the book. I wanted to give you a very base version of it so that you go and buy that book. Support him. Look at him on Twitter. He does amazing videos as well. Go and check those out because he is an amazing guy. And then on Spotify, if you're listening to Skidoon's Kill on there, give it a five-star rating. On iTunes, it's a five-star rating and a review. And let's just keep spreading that word. It's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hey. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.